1: Or Whatever
0: Movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I am your co-host, Iris, and I am here with my older brother, Wesley. Today we're talking Academy Award winning film from 2006, Testosterone.
1: <laughs> Talk about the dude movie of all time. Little Things is like a feminist lark compared to The Departed. <laughs>
0: The Departed, starring every single star from the mid-aughts.
1: Except Kevin Bacon. Oh, yeah. Which is a shame.
0: There's a big Kevin Bacon-sized hole in The Departed. You know what? There's no room for Kevin Bacon in The Departed. It's it's really crowded with lots of swinging dicks. <laughs>
1: And uh, even the, the ones we don't see, uh, Brad Pitt was going to be in this movie. <laughs> Tom Cruise was going to be in this movie, but Brad Pitt dropped out, but still produced it under Plan B. I thought that 12 Years a Slave heralded the arrival of Plan B uh, for its first Best Picture win. Not the case. The Departed Best Picture, 2006.
0: And Best Director for Martin Scorsese. Yep.
1: And this was one of the ones, along with uh, Daniel Day-Lewis and There Will Be Blood, that I would have bet the farm on. And I thought this is everyone's chance to reward him. Sort of like uh, Lord of the Rings, even though the Return of the King was the least good Lord of the Rings movie. They gave it best picture. When Martin Scorsese goes back to his gangster picture, you got to give him the Oscar. And then he tried one more time with the Irishman.
0: My analogy for The Departed is it's this huge cargo bearing
1: barge that's just speeding out of control at 50 miles an hour.
0: No one's going to stop it. It's huge and powerful, and all we can do is poke little holes in it. I have some holes that I could poke, but it's not stopping the departed.
1: Nope. It's just going to roll by, and and the horn, when you press the horn on the barge, it goes...
0: I can't decide if it's a barge, a steamroller, or an icebreaker.
1: What's uh, native to Boston?
0: <laughs> they got a lot of snow in Boston, don't they?
1: I don't know, man.
0: Yeah, it's also very Bostony, which um Matt Damon and Mark Wahlberg are like obvious choices for this, but Leonardo DiCaprio not as much. Leonardo DiCaprio seems a little bit like an outsider in this film, and his Boston accent when he was in his original interview with Martin Sheen and Mark Wahlberg was like, oh no, this is going to be really bad." And then he like kind of got into it like it almost felt like that was the first scene that they shot and he was like still dialing in his boston accent
1: i immediately recognized as two reunion scenes dicaprio worked with mark Wahlberg in basketball diaries way back when and they were friends and then he worked with martin sheen in uh catch me if you can
0: oh right amy adams dad yeah and catch me if you can was
1: 2002 tell me frank yeah what was the name of that little dog (laughs) I feel like we know what this movie is and we're in good hands with Scorsese, right? Even if it's this motley crew of people who are all supposed to be from Boston, pretty confident that he's going to be able to hold it together, don't you think?
0: Yes, and he does so in his particular Martin Scorsese style. So I watched Departed the day after watching Taxi Driver for the first time and was like having this little... Martin Scorsese moment and I noticed that the same storytelling sensibility totally translated over into The Departed these kind of half every scene he leaves kind of unfinished he's so in tune about what story element he needs from a scene that he just he's super efficient he goes in he gets that element and then they get out of the scene and all of the scenes feel a little unfinished they feel a little unsatisfying but it's kind of meant to make you feel like a little unsettled and it really works. But for the departed, it took me a long time to ramp up. Like, I was like, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> I was very confused. I was like, So he's him? And and then what? And so is he trying to get it? But is he still a cop? I don't even know. And there's this long, like, 20 minute cold open where they're paralleling Matt Damon and, and Leonardo DiCaprio, and I have no idea what's happening. And all of a sudden, they're like, The
1: departed! 18 minutes until the title card popped up and i think they just played the rolling stones give me shelter on a loop for all of that time (laughs) and it is kind of a forced journey where you're kind of holding on as soon as you get your footing in a scene it cuts away and it is not amateur filmmaking for sure
0: so i guess that's the question like if it's really all over your head and you're just playing catch up for the first 25 minutes like Does that work? Because when I went back, I was like, oh, man, this really all makes sense. They really do set up everything. They foreshadow Matt Damon's death. They set up all of the necessary characters. You know, there's that moment with Leonardo DiCaprio and um, Brown, the other cadet, when they're in training. Was
1: that Anthony Anderson?
0: Yeah, and they're taking their their little jog, and Uh and you're like, all right, they know each other. They're setting up Matt Damon's aspirations to be successful, his apartment. Like, all of this stuff, is pr- it's, it's all meaningful. And especially Jack Nicholson's line, which comes right before the title, about um, how it all kind of doesn't really matter when you're... What's the quote? When you're looking down the barrel of a gun?
1: You, you had a choice. You could either be a cop or a criminal. And when you're looking down the barrel of a loaded gun, what's the difference? Exactly. Well, I don't know about exactly, but...
0: That's the idea, and it perfectly sets up this dual-mole two sides of one coin kind of thing that's going to be going on with Billy and, and Colin for the rest of the film.
1: And while we were getting these glimpses, all these characters are coming together and their stories will run concurrent throughout the, the movie, which obviously is what a movie does, but also the parallels between Sullivan and Costigan.
0: In preparation for this review, I watched Michael Franzese, his review on The Departed for his Mob Movie Monday review. <laughs> Let me tell you, I got a lot from that review, primarily because I think he was like a made criminal and he has like this very unique background or whatever. But like, how much do you need to know about the mob and mob culture in order to understand the
1: departed? I don't think a whole lot. I think that from Alec Baldwin's perspective, he's just like, you know, the drill, organized crime, we're going to stop it or marginally disrupt it or whatever. But I think that all you have to do to really know the mob for a movie like this is B. Martin Scorsese. And he had done it so often before. He said that he has typically people on set around him to advise him when he's making a movie like this. For the, In this particular case, he had way more cops around than criminals, or I should say co-ops. And he said he felt way more at ease with the gangster element than he did with a bunch of police. Because he felt at any point they were going to shut him down, arrest him, and take him in. This was the first, and maybe the last, uh, certainly the first Scorsese movie that relied heavily on the modern technology of cell phones. And boy, did those look dated. And he's like, all right, guys, we're going to make a movie. It's got this new thing. Have you guys heard of T9 texting? And they're like, whoa. (laughs) Oh, it was great, though. I mean, T9 was
0: so perfect. You can't do the -the in-the-pocket texting that Matt Damon did now. You have to have the discrete keys
1: the tactile keys.
0: Yeah, that was perfect. I'm saying it was a really effective use of early odds technology.
1: There was real tension in the blood covered phone call between Costigan and Sullivan, right? The sparkly incoming call graphic on the screen, but just the buzzing, the ominous buzzing on the table. And you're staring at a phone trying to penetrate it, trying to see who the caller is on the other side because you can't be sure. Holding it up to their heads. And
0: then then they pick it up and they're both just like sitting on the line, like listening to each other breathe. Yeah. Like, what can I make out of that breath?
1: Really weird cat. (laughs) If they even heard each other breathe. And then today on an iPhone, you would see like, you would see Martin Sheen's picture pop up all smiling.
0: (laughs) It would be like maybe Martin Sheen. (laughs) It would be like Martin Sheen's emoji. (laughs)
1: An animated one.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, it was good. It was, Um, there was great tension there. You know, this, one of the little pokey holes that I'll make is that, you know, Sullivan was a little sloppy with the, with the citizen's envelope. Like he, he should have known better. And he
1: left it on his desk?
0: Yeah. I mean, that was a, that was sloppy and that was not, he's pro and he is smart and he's one head, one step ahead and he thinks on his, he thinks quick on his feet and he should not have left that on. That, that should have been locked up in a cabinet in confidential top secret files.
1: Yeah, it was hard after all that cat and mouse and the poor Chinese dude getting stabbed in the alleyway to think that Bill would come in. That Costigan, after uh, Queenan's death, would show up and sit in the office and subject him. He just wanted to get out of there. I always felt like Sullivan had ulterior motives, right? He was still the rat. And I was wondering what Costigan's game was when he came back in and sat down in the chair. I was like, what angle is he playing? And apparently... Knowing that there still is a mole. Right, but apparently he didn't have an angle. Apparently he really did want his money, wanted to get out. Because I also felt that his being forced to go to prison, obviously, to be his cover and to see a court appointed shrink or something where he, you know, hooks up with Sullivan's girl whose name I can't remember, Madeline.
0: Yeah, Vera Farmiga. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I thought that was a hustle too. I thought he was playing the character and apparently he wasn't because he was so full of tension. He was always on edge. He was miserable for the whole movie. All he wanted to do was transcend his family background and be a cop in the one city where he probably shouldn't be a cop. And uh, and so I thought he had it all together, too. And apparently he didn't. Apparently what we what we see was what we got with the Costigan character.
0: Yeah, I wanted to ask about that. Do you think that he was given he was made an offer he couldn't refuse or do you feel like he wanted to go undercover that he saw the logic of him being able to use his background as a really convincing cover to do something to do something important to do something really special?
1: No, I think that Queen and forced him into it. They were like, look, punk, you're no cop. You're never gonna be a cop. And so Costigan says, What do I gotta do? And they were like, All right, well, you could be a cop, but you're also gonna be a criminal because that's your thing. Go do it. And and at that point Digman switched and he was like, We need you, pal, get it done. Oh man.
0: Digman, what a dick. And they beautifully foreshadowed Martin Sheen and Dignam agree, in five years you ain't gonna be a cop. In fact, in five years you're not gonna be around anymore. And all of these things all undercover always ends badly. Like, don't they know that going in? Like I'm a dead man anyway, like Costigan had to have known that this wasn't gonna end well.
1: I mean, it's not something <laughs> it's not something I would do. <laughs> but if you have a thing and you you know, if you're right on the edge, he seemed like a perfect candidate, I guess. Why it took Costello and crew so long to suss out the rat is beyond me. It's like the crew's been together forever, or at least as long as Costello would allow, because he when he gets in trouble, he just murders everyone on board. But then new dude, young kid Billy comes on board and everyone was like, who's the rat? We can't figure it out.
0: (laughs) It's because DiCaprio was so convincing in his performance.
1: Oh, yeah. He's never played an Irish dude trying to infiltrate a crime boss's operation undercover. He's never done that before. All they had to do was watch watch Gangs of New York.
0: I'm going to just say it and put it on record. Leonardo DiCaprio's best performance.
1: Nope. Well... This, to me, is old enough so that the cell phone stated that it is the death of the teen heartthrob Leonardo DiCaprio. This is the last DiCaprio babyface movie. As much as he tries, I look at this movie and I'm like, oh, dude, he looks young.
0: Well, it was like 15 years ago.
1: I've long questioned his ability as an actor, and I don't think it is his acting necessarily that trips him up. He certainly has commitment. The dude is one of the hardworking, most hardworking actors in Hollywood. The problem is he looks boyish, doesn't look imposing, has these awkward kid mannerisms and tries and really wants to look tough in a way that Robert De Niro did in Taxi Driver by being rail thin, but also scary and imposing. I don't believe DiCaprio has that presence as much as he bulks up. When Sullivan is looking at the traffic cam footage of him or the surveillance cam, he looks like a little boy in a jacket with a baseball hat on. DiCaprio does. I was waiting for the Leo point. The really awkward Leonardo DiCaprio pointy finger, and it didn't come except when he took Sullivan in the end and held the gun altogether too close to his face. He did the little the little chicken hand point with the gun in his face.
0: <laughs> he did the he did the point with the gun?
1: Yeah. And so <laughs> in that way, maybe it was the best DiCaprio pointing scene. And maybe the best DiCaprio. But I mean he's done a lot of good work. Uh, mostly I argue that it's the work is done well around him. He's found himself in spectacular movies. I mean, I found myself wondering how many best picture winners has DiCaprio been in? Certainly nominated for several. He's just parts of these massive movies. and, And I got no problem with his acting. It's just when everyone was like, he's the greatest ever actor of his generation. The answer is no. He works with some of the best filmmakers of his generation or any generation.
0: Yeah, it's because Leonardo DiCaprio don't play. Leonardo DiCaprio isn't one of those soul-seeking actors who's like, "I really just want to do an indie film and like something that's important." Like he's like, "I will work with four directors on the biggest possible films."
1: Yeah, but not necessarily the biggest, what he perceives to be the most commercially big films.
0: I'm not saying he's soulless. I'm just saying he's not soul-searching. <laughs> um, speaking of the performances, I think this cast is really interesting because It's kind of populated with actors I don't really think that much of. Like, I feel like this is kind of this weird, star-studded, mediocre cast doing top-notch performances does that mean
1: well i think that a-list is defined as being able to sell a movie on the strength of your appearance alone and i don't know if that's the case for any of these dudes oh let's go check out the next the big matt damon movie DiCaprio's probably as close as you come jack nicholson would have been closer at the time we don't have him making movies anymore
0: he's so fabulous in this movie even though he's kind of doing his shtick or whatever he's just like menacing and slimy and he's all in this character
1: he's what jack torrance would have ended up being if he survived the overlook and joined the mob <laughs> except for the cheese-eating rat uh rat impression he does he's almost universally menacing and the devil incarnate which is exactly what he wanted he came off a string of comedies apparently and was like i want to do a bad guy and did a bad guy but uh, to go back to your question he is a great bad guy yeah Maybe, even though they're A-list stars, arguably, it's like they're hardworking character actors. These roles could have been played by anyone. Just as the guy who comes out of left field, who doesn't come out of left field, who was established very early on as one of Sullivan's buddies. The the guy who wasn't chosen for playing closed duty. The guy that ended up being a Poland-invading beat cop or whatever. Who ultimately shoots Costigan in the head. Spoiler. The first time I watched it, I was like, who the hell's that dude? Then, when he shoots him? Yeah. I was like, he's like, hey. And there's like a look <laughs> of recognition. He's like, what? You thought you were the only one on Costello's crew? And so obviously watching it this Boy. time, I was like, there he is. And he was set up, yep. but he wasn't a recognizable face. And so I think to keep track of a convoluted narrative that Martin Scorsese puts up, maybe we need these recognizable actors who are playing the hardworking journeyman roles that help us gain some traction in this dense world. Because when a Mm -hmm. dude like the dude who shoots the dude shows up, I was like, who's that guy?
0: Interesting casting point. They cast an unrecognizable face for the partner. I wasn't clear if the partner, if that guy knew um, I mean, he—he he, at some point he knew that um, Sullivan was, was a mole. I don't know that he knew that the entire time. Sullivan certainly didn't know. I don't know at what point it started to really gel for me. But by the time we hit the third act and this movie is rolling and there's no stopping it, I was fully on board and was really interested to see how it would all shake out. And I wonder how much of that had to do with me being able to track these big names and these really familiar faces.
1: And they were all in this web where they were all interconnected so much that even Dignam and Queenan ultimately met up with Costello on the street. He knew his name. I mean, Costello called him Charlie.
0: But but that's that's pretty tropey, like where, you know, you're so close, but you can't touch. Right. This is my first time having watched The Departed. I can come at this movie now with like a whole new appreciation for Scorsese, for these actors, for even this kind of storytelling especially considering i think it holds up pretty well
1: like harrison ford won't do movies of this type he kind of always has to be front and center at least that was his mindset before the same with will smith and when that ceases to work so well when you're not the bankable gotta be the hero in every movie then ultimately you take like a supporting role in suicide squad and then you kind of Find your way into ensemble pictures.
0: Maybe the star of this movie is William Monaghan's screenplay.
1: And how masterfully it keeps all of these people in this delicate high wire balancing act. Strangely enough, after the fact, I'm not sure how, how long after, because this is Martin Scorsese's commercial crowning achievement. And he doesn't like it all that much. He said in particular, the post process was really painful and frustrating he ended the story because he didn't know where to go. Everyone was dead. That's a good way to end a story. He's not going to tone down the violence. He's not going to tone down the themes. And he's not going to tone down the language in his movie. In a way, like Quentin Tarantino, that's admirable. And just stick to your guns, literally. You're making a certain kind of movie. Go for it. And if you pull any punches and make it PG-13, you're doing it and yourself a disservice. But also, I can see how it can be rough for some people. Like, if you sat Mom down and watched The Departed, she'd be like, so violent. Lots of blood. Daddy loved it. Not my kind of picture. Too much for me. Or Dad would say, like, Ma got 20 minutes in and she went to watch her prizes is <laughs> Right or something.
0: Yeah, you don't want to hang out. You don't want to be a part of this world, but it's fun to get a glimpse into it if you're in the right frame of mind. I mean, fun. maybe fun's not the right word, but it's, it's definitely uh, entertaining and it makes you glad that, you're, that this isn't your life, but uh, it's kind of interesting to get a glimpse into it. What's your favorite scene in The Departed?
1: Um, I like the scene in which Costigan and Costello sit down. Costigan's not aware of that Sullivan is Costello's rat, and Costello's not. He knows that he has a rat in his immediate crew. For some reason, can't figure it out. But they sit down and talk, and he d- indirectly threatens him. And Costigan comes back and says, "Look, you threatened me once. That's my bad. You threatened me twice. I'll leave. But if you do it again, I'm gonna put a bullet in you." And then Costello, like, at that moment, drops the gun. He's like, oh, what happened? What's this? Oh, it's a gun. And he sticks it in Costigan's face. Apparently, that scene was not scripted. They did the scripted scene where they have the confrontation. And uh, Nicholson felt that DiCaprio wasn't appropriately scared of him, this character. So in one take, he pulled a gun. He got a gun from a prop department and pulled it on DiCaprio, who was like, oh, (laughs) <laughs> it was memorable to me because he was speaking truth. Costigan's like, "What are you doing, dude? You're 70 years old. You got all the money, all the women in the world. Why do you need the hassle of looking over your shoulder, looking for rats, potentially getting popped?" And he's like, "I don't care because I like it."
0: Yeah, it was interesting, like how he could be the how he could be a sort of truth in Costello's gang because, like at the end, he's like, "Get out of here," and he kind of cares about him. Yeah, like he's, you know, but wasn't that a little counter to what Billy was trying? Costigan was saying to Costello, if you want to find the rat, think of someone who thinks they can be you. And then he's like, I maybe could be you. Right.
1: Like, didn't that seem a little counterproductive? In a lot of ways, that scene was counterproductive because it broke the illusion of Costello being the consummate devil and uh, Costigan trying to remain firmly undercover. He plays it off really well, which I think is the strength of DiCaprio in this movie, uh, that he mm-hmm. can balance this, you know, when the, he walks out of the door and they're like, you're a cop. And he's like, what? And But not in the terrible way that I just did, but he makes it believable <laughs> that he's undercover. And in that scene, he comes the closest to admitting it or to being revealed in a strange where they they. You know, where their, their roles reversed. reverse
0: psychology way. Yeah.
1: It was an intimate scene that was both scary and disconcerting and effective. I liked his interplay with uh, with French when he sneaks up on on Costigan at the end, but doesn't really do do anything to him. He just kind of <laughs> is there and he sniffs him and grabs his cigarette and leaves. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, I, and other for other character actors, I think Ray Winstone is great. We've seen him a lot. And I think he's really at his strongest when he's the uh, kind of imposing yet lovable gangster. Frenchie? Yeah, French. But he's almost the guy you don't hit. Oh, my so God. So I'm going to make a ruling right now. You don't hit him.
0: <laughs> That's such a great scene. And when Frenchie comes back around with the uh, period comment, <laughs> Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio's face, that was really
1: great and maybe it adheres to the movie as a theme in a larger sense where it's you know kind of offensive and kind of annoying and kind of dude bro but it all comes around at the end in a clever way and uh and these people are unabashedly (laughs) dudes right
0: The the cranberry juice period scene just kind of sums it up.
1: You said in our review of The Little Things that you like movies where dudes in particular are just free to be themselves. And they have this camaraderie or this bond or whatever. Most of the time, everybody was suspicious of everybody else in this movie. But it wasn't all just dudes. The Veronica character, uh, Madeline, can't be dismissed. She was a very soft, very feminine very grounded character in this movie uh, torn between two dudes, but she was a soft touch that I think Martin Scorsese has also a knack for. She felt decidedly out of place in this movie, but her character was, I felt honest and real and wasn't just some dame that they're messing with. You know, I mean, she was smarter than all of them. She knew their process, but she was also flawed and vulnerable in her own way.
0: I had some questions about her. She's soft, she represents this life that Sullivan aspires to, social climbing and well-adjusted, that he's just not ultimately kind of suited for. Uh, he's kind of a dick to her, like, throughout the relationship. I, I questioned why she was involved with Sullivan. Like, it seemed to me she wanted to move advance her life right she wanted to be you know she wanted to get married she wanted to have children she wanted to settle down Sullivan had this nice apartment and he was charming if not a little prickish and was kind of good enough like it seemed like she was oddly settling with Sullivan and maybe didn't really like him all that much and then found some kind of real spark or connection with Costigan's character but their relationship is is weird. I mean, she also represents what Costigan can't have, which is, you know, a life above board, like a true connection. And he trusts her obviously, so he gives, he gives her his what I assume is his file for safekeeping or maybe it's information on um on Sullivan, but she's meant to represent a life outside of all of this crime, and yet she cheats on her boyfriend, like and doesn't pay f- Well, I guess she kind of pays for it in everything going awry, but like she doesn't really seem to have a lot of guilt about it. I wonder what she was going to say to Costigan the last time that he saw her. And I also wonder, there's, there's a lot of questions about her character. Like, was her baby Costigan's baby? What was she going to do if Sullivan lived? It raised all these paternity questions for me, like what right does he have and what what do you do when you're when the father of your child is like a crazy criminal?
1: I I don't think she was meant to be a moral high ground. I mean, she's pretty and angelic, but she wasn't meant to be what could have in a different movie been the idealized female figure, torn between the dude the two, you know, the trophy girl in the Fast and the Furious car in the passenger seat or something. She wasn't that girl. She was complicated, complex, definitely flawed. Uh, Vera Farmiga said she did uh, research with real therapists and things, and one of them read the script, took a look at it, and said, basically, the Madeline character does everything wrong <laughs> after she cheats on Sullivan and then she's, you know, she does the traditional, very sweet pregnancy reveal to him and they have their little moment and it's like, wait, it just seemed like you couldn't stand that dude. Same thing when he talks to Costello and when she kind of intercepts or picks up that call, she's obviously disturbed or confused. And she's like, you're lying to me. And he's like, yeah, but I'm going to be charming now. And she's like, Ooh, charming. (laughs) She was flawed enough that she fit in this world because if there's one thing we know, it's alpha dudes have women. Around and at least she wasn't a caricature, and at least she was a more rounded female character who wasn't meant to be necessarily virtuous.
0: I appreciate that she wasn't the virgin or the whore, right? Matt Damon was definitely checking out the broads throughout. He's he's whistling, he's checking out butts, and he's giving them uncomfortable stares in board meetings or whatever. And so he was on the prowl, like he and he wanted to have a semblance of a normal life in addition to his abnormal professional life. I mean, I, I, I can appreciate things about her character, but what was really going on between her and Costigan? I, Were they, I don't was know. Was it just a fling? I think was that, he the father of her child?
1: I think that she was with Sullivan, who was such an alpha male, that when Costigan came it was kind of broken down, really needed her in a way that Sullivan didn't. Kind of kept her on the periphery of his main life, which was balancing his association with Costello and his job. And then Costigan was just laid bare. And she was like, "That's kind of hot." Where I'm going to skirt the uh, my oath by, you know, he's no longer a patient. <laughs> but I don't think, but I don't think she's an answer to the questions of this movie because The Departed. It has to be said has a lot of flaws. Sometimes it was confusing. Sometimes the motivations weren't perfectly in step with the characters that we had come to understand. Um, I didn't like Sullivan. I didn't particularly like Costigan. I liked. Costello because he was Jack Nicholson and so unreserved, like this is probably the most fitting Jack Nicholson character since Wolf, where basically he was already half a werewolf. And in this one, he was almost half Costello. (laughs) In my mind, he's just so Jack Nicholson in this movie. And I miss that dude because he disappeared not long after this. And that's a bummer. But this movie has flaws. It's a little bit too in your face, a little bit too aggressive to have those other balanced elements. It's almost as though he's like, well, we have a sympathetic female character. So now let's rage with these dudes. (laughs) The Departed, the hardcore
0: mosh pit of movies. (laughs) Minus (laughs) the long hair. With
1: the appropriate soundtrack, for sure. Beer flying everywhere and junk. So let's (laughs) sum it up with the the final scene. There was one guy who viewed The Departed as a nearly perfect film, with the one exception of the final shot. And the -the all-too-on-the-nose rat walking across the railing. And started a Kickstarter campaign where he painstakingly digitally removed the rat from that shot. And was trying to sell copies of the movie without the rat shot until it was taken out. His campaign was removed for copyright violations. This movie had a lot. It may be just a little bit too much. It's like I got put through a lot, and a lot of people died for Costello to be who he was, and a lot of people died for The Departed to be what it was, and I'm not sure that it was altogether satisfying. I mean, they didn't literally die. Yeah, well, when we choose sides for any of these characters, then they're dead. Oh, that's true. And Dignam is the only one left alive. And I yeah. don't think it's relevant because he's not a cop. There was talk of a sequel and Dignum would have been the star, but it never materialized. Uh,
0: I think the blue booties say it all. You know, Dignum, cop or no, was the consummate professional and was going to see his mission through to its end and was going to bring justice on the guy because cop or criminal, or in Sullivan's case, both, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And that is our review on The Departed. Wes, your rating, please.
1: I like. The Departed. It's quintessential Martin Scorsese. I'm happy that we have it. Uh, I'm happy that he got his recognition because he is one of the great filmmakers of our generation, of the, of any generation. Um, not my favorite, not even my second favorite or third favorite of my Martin Scorsese gangster pictures, but it clears the bar. Definitely an all right movie.
0: I give The Departed a good, despite having come to it 15 years after the fact. Let us know what you think about The Departed, 818-835-0473 or whatevermovies at gmail.com.
1: And did you know that all our videos are on YouTube?
0: Yes, they are. Subscribe to our podcast on YouTube, follow us on Instagram or whatevermovies, and we appreciate your patronage. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. I'm a
1: Cast.